0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. All right, well, good evening. Thanks for being here tonight. My name is Pastor Ryan. Uh, if you don't have a Bible priest, raise your hands. The ushers will come through and give you one because uh, you will need one. Now, the way I uh, like to preach is uh, we're going to talk from uh, tonight, Matthew 12, verses 1 to 14. I'm going to read that, and then we're just going to go through it bit by bit, okay? So we'll give the ushers just a minute to hand out the Bibles. Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 14. Okay, I'll give you just a sec. All right, Matthew 12, 1 to 14. This is what it says. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, Your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple, and they desecrate the Sabbath, and yet they're innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just like the other hand. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. All right, that's our Bible verse. So today's reading obviously depicts a very interesting but tragic time in the Christian world. The scene is this collusion between or see this uh, collision of two big heavyweights: the Pharisees, the religious establishment and Jesus. Now, in the religious world 2,000 years ago, this was a very big deal, and it wasn't just because it involved Jesus and the religious leaders, it was also big because of the ex- accusation being thrown around, which was breaking the Sabbath, which does anybody know what the penalty was? Yeah, Death capital punishment. So there's a lot at stake. This isn't just some simple debate. This is big. So to make sure we're on the same page with how, how big, how, how serious the ancient Jews took their laws, specifically the ones that related to the death penalty, I'm going to show you a list of all the laws that, if broke, would result in the death penalty. Okay. So let's go to our first slide up here. First off, doing work on the Sabbath. And there's a reference number if you want. Okay, second, attacking or cursing a parent. Yeah, number three, disobedience to parents. Thank goodness me and my brother weren't Jews 2,000 years ago. (laughs) Like I'm the only one here, right? Okay, failure to confine a dangerous animal resulting in death. Let's go to our next one. Witchcraft and sorcery, sex with an animal, incest, adultery, how many of our politicians would that uh, affect nowadays? Homosexual acts, blasphemy, false prophecy, false claim of a woman's virginity at time of marriage, sex between a woman pledged to be married and a man older, uh, other than her betrothed. So as you can see, this is some, this is some serious stuff. There's a lot of things that could result in the death penalty. And I want to share this because now we're in the same position, the same mindset that Jesus and the Pharisees are in when they have this debate. My point is to make this as real as possible. This just isn't something like, well, this is my favorite Bible verse. No, this is mine. This is a real big deal. And what started this debate, interestingly enough, Jesus and the disciples, they're actually walking through a field and they're hungry. And so what do they do? It tells us as they're walking along, they just reach down and they grab a little bit of grain and they start eating it. Have you ever done that with wheat? Just pull it right off the stock or corn? It's pretty hard to do, but that's what they did. But the modern day equivalent would be, let's say you're walking through an apple orchard and you just reach up and you grab an apple or two and you take a bite. That's really all they did, okay? That's that's it. But that action was noticed by the Pharisees, the, 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 the Jewish religious law experts, and it sends them through the roof. They immediately run up to Jesus. And they let him and his disciples have it because they said they just broke the Sabbath law, which has what penalty? Death. 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 So let's, I want to take a step back here because it seems we have a gross misunderstanding what, the, what constitutes work, right? You think that, that doesn't seem that hard, but in reality, the word work can be kind of vague. The Pharisees obviously think what they saw was work. Jesus and the disciples say, well, no, that's obviously not work at all. But whoever is wrong could potentially be put to death. So let's take a look at what the law of no work on the Sabbath was really meant for. What was it about? Now, bear with me a second, because at the end, this is all going to come together, and uh, we're going to see that Jesus and his, his interpretation was by far was correct. When God made the universe, when he made things, when he went every day, when he went through at the end of every day, it said he looked around and saw that it was good. That's right. So remember, God took a dark uh, void, it's it's even described as futile, it's just, it's this emptiness space, and he created life. And every day he added something to it, he looked around and saw that it was good. And then when he made man, he said he took the dust of the ground and he breathed his own breath into the nostrils to give it life. It's very intentional, it's very personal. It was very up close. This none of this was on accident. And then when God looked around, and saw that it was good. It was very good. And then what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. Now, he didn't rest because he was tired and needed a nap and had one of those, you know, some lazy boy in heaven. <laughs> he wanted to spend time with his creation. He wanted to have a relationship with what he just made. You seeing doing all that is awesome, you know, create the stars, the moon, and, the, and everything, but once he created the moon and the stars, he went on to something else, and then went on to something else, and then he just kept going. And at one time, when he was all done, he said, that's enough. Now, I just want to have a relationship with everything I've created. He wants to focus on all the goodness. Because his intention was always to have a relationship. He didn't create it and then never have anything to do with it. So he builds this system. He builds into the system one day to specifically reinforce that going forward. Where one day, people just stop what they're doing and enjoy this world that he created and and get close to him again, right? Which is really quite beautiful when you think about it. So now let's fast forward quite a bit of time to where God has freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He's building them up to have a special relationship with him. They were gonna be his own people. He told them that, you are my prized possession. And then he gives them a set of laws. Laws that state there's only one God. Another one that says, don't make idols of any other gods. Another one that says, don't take my name in vain. And then he says, this day that I made, keep it holy. Keep it separate. Then he made other laws like, don't murder, don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't secretly want your neighbor's stuff. But all those, if you look at all the Ten Commandments, they're really, honestly, based on one thing. Let's go to the next slide. You might think, "Whoa, what? That doesn't make sense. But if you give me a second, it's going to make us all the sense in the world, especially the law about the Sabbath. Now, the Ten Commandments relate to God um, as far as trust goes because that's one thing that people didn't have back then. They did not trust in one true God. If you're a student of history, all the religions back then had many gods, right? Many gods. Hey, if you had a problem in your life and you didn't know what was going on, find a God that God didn't work out, find a different one. If that doesn't work, you got to try another one because you need a God for war, fertility, harvest, good weather, bad weather, right? And I'm not even getting started. There are hundreds and hundreds of gods in all those ancient religions. And the reason they did that, because they had no concept, no belief that one God could handle everything. There's no other reason for that. And that's what it was in Moses' time. Then fast forward to Jesus' time, it really wasn't that much different. Now remember in the book of Acts, in the New Testament, there was a story in Athens where people actually made a statue to what? An unknown God. And that is just crazy when you think about it. Now, the Apostle Paul had been teaching all throughout the Middle East, and he made his way to what's now modern-day Turkey and Greece. And at one point, this preaching gets him in the trouble, and they take him to Athens, where he's, in a sense, kind of put on trial. They want to, they're talking to him. They want to figure out what's going on and what he's teaching. It's kind of an exploratory meeting. And when they're there, they say, tell us about this Jesus. But while, while this is going on, he'd also been walking around the city, and he saw all these statues to all these different gods, and then at one point, he literally sees this statue, one intrigued him the most, and he says to the people, what I don't understand is you have all these statues, and you just have one here that just says, literally, to an unknown God. It's an empty pedestal to an unknown God. The people of Athens knew so little about their own gods, they didn't know where they ended and where they started. They had some ideas of what they did. But they had such an absence of a, of a relationship with their gods and trust that you know, let's be honest, just in case we're totally wrong, we need this. It's exactly what it was. This is the just-in-case. This is a backup parachute, in case the first one doesn't work out. I mean, it sounds funny, but that's exactly what it is. How else, why on earth would you make an empty pedestal and just say, well, just in case this du- God shows up, this is, we were waiting for you. What's your name? We don't know, but now we can put it on there. <laughs> Does that sound like Trust. No, not at all. And in a way, bear with me, it's not that much different today when people, there's a few people that just go to church on Christmas and Easter. The kind of people that I like to think of as the just in case. Just in case it's all, you know, it's real, I'm putting some time in. The other 363 days of the year, not so much. But just in case it's true, you know, I, I got my card punched on those two days because that counts, Right? Counts double. See? That's the backup parachute. But that's, but it's not that much different than what they were doing back then. So let's go back to the Athenians and the statue of the unknown god. Again, they had all these statues, and just in case they missed one, you know, or, you know, that made them feel comfortable somehow. They don't know his or her name, just in case. And that's got to count for something, right? That's what they thought. You see, throughout history, that's what humans did. When something happened that you didn't understand, you couldn't control, and you had this fear, you created something to make you feel better, more comfortable. Something bad happened? Well, God must be angry. It's the only way to, to make the God angry is I have to give him something, some of my money, one of my kids, and that doesn't work. Well, maybe you got the God wrong. Maybe it's a girl God and if you're a student of Roman gods or Greek gods, you see sometimes the gods would fight and kill each other, so then you got that one wrong, you got to find another one. And it's absolutely true. It's one big soap opera if you really read it. So when God gave the Ten Commandments, when he said, I am the only God, there are no other gods. That was huge. That was a novel concept. That meant they needed to trust in him what. No They needed to trust him in good weather, in bad weather, when things didn't go right. And that seems easy for us, but back then that was a very hard thing for them to wrap their heads around. It was huge. Now here, and here's how you know it's true. Remember when the Israelites, when God freed them from slavery, they went to the desert, and eventually Moses took them up to the mountain to get what? The 10 come out. The 10 come in. It was just a big thing. We have movies about it now. But he was gone a long time. And what did the people do? Something's wrong, he didn't come back, so we have to worship something. What do we do? I don't know, but I remember there's a god we used to worship that looked like that. So let's just make that and that'll make us feel better. But it, I know it sounds funny, but isn't that what they did? They didn't have trust in one particular god. They got tired of waiting. the very first commandment is all about trust. Trust that God is real and there are no other gods. God is real. Trust him. The next two commandments, don't make any carved images of other gods. Don't take his name in vain. The one true God, just all they do is reinforce the first one. It's kind of like oh, if you get confused about the first or the second or third, go back to number one. There's just simply one. And the reason he doesn't want us to take his name in vain is because he's real. He wants us to trust him. In fact, he actually is fine with us saying his name. Did you know that? But he wants us to talk to him, pray to him. What he doesn't want us to do is say his his name as a cuss word or flippantly like, and I know some people at work that are constantly, gee, Jason, you know, this, this, and this. Like, oh, I'm a pastor and you say his name more than I do. God wants you to say His name. He wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to trust Him so that when things go wrong, you do say His name. You call out to him. He doesn't want His name to become meaningless. He wants you to trust Him. And now, as we come to the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. When God gave this commandment to the Israelites, He did in fact tell them not to do work. That is true. But that command became so distorted that they, and even we to a point, forgot what he was trying to do. And back in those days, you got to remember, there were no food preservatives. There were no refrigeration. There was no grocery store. If you didn't work, make your own food. Guess what you didn't do that day? Eat every day. You had to start a fire. You had to keep it burning. You ever try to make bread over an open fire outdoors? That's hard. It takes a lot of work. Us men, we think we're cool because we can do some burgers or something like that, but that's like, you know, turn on the propane tank. This is different. And for water, there was no plumbing. They had to go to a well, however far away or to a river, and they didn't have buckets. You know what they carried their water in? Usually animal bladders. Everything about food preparation was a big deal. It was a lot of work. So when God gave them the commandment of do no work on this day, it was unheard of. It was crazy. It made people very uncomfortable. It was potentially unsafe. I got kids. How am I going to feed my kids? Well, I don't, what, I don't. How is this going to work? How is your family going to stay strong? And also, since I can't prepare food, I'm not going to be ready for the next day either. So it kind of almost affects two days. How is this going to work? God was saying, trust me. Trust me. One day... Don't do anything else. Spend your day with me. I will take care of you. I am your God. Go back to commandment number one. There's only one. It's me. I will take care of you. Rest from your work. Spend time with your family. Spend time with me. Remember that I'm your God. I created you. You're my people. That's what he meant. That's what he was doing. That was huge at the time. So God didn't tell him not to work because it had an issue with work. He wanted them to have a relationship and have one day a week that they never forgot that. That's all it ever was. So let's fast forward about 1,500 years to Jesus' time and this debate between Jesus and the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees accused Jesus and the disciples of breaking the law of the Sabbath because they picked some grain as they walked through a field. Now, when the Pharisees make this accusation, Jesus Jesus replies with two very specific responses that poke these huge holes in their whole argument let's go to our next slide. This is what he says. He says, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his commandments ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. Now what Jesus is referring to is a time when David was on the run from Saul. You remember that whole little, little okay, power play and stuff? Well, David was on the run and him and his men were hungry and they eventually went to a, a temple, a synagogue. And the only food was there was the consecrated bread, the bread that was supposed to be just for the high priest. It was kind of a big deal. It's kind of like our communion bread, but more set aside. Well, they were starving. But in that case, you know what the priest did? He gave it to them. He said, eat. And they ate it. And you, don't, you want to know the why the priest did this? Because the priest got it. He understood. The laws of God are not meant to harm anyone. They're not. If you're starving and the only thing there is communion bread... Eat it. It's bread. It's supposed to bring us closer to God anyway. How much more wonderful is that? The, the bread is not meant to sit by while you starve. That's what Jesus' point was. Now, he also uses an example in verse five of our reading where he says this, next slide. He says, or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath, duty in the temple, they desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent. Now, in a modern day language, what he's saying, you know, very 2019, he says, you know the priests work every Sabbath. You know, as pastors, we work every Sunday. Technically that is work. And yet we don't put them to death. He said, you don't understand what the Sabbath is for. God didn't want us to do distracting work. He didn't want us to to value money and possessions so much that we're willing to work seven days a week for it and have no relationship with him. That's what it is. He didn't want us to trust him so little that we worked all the time. He wanted this day to be special so that we could remember him and have a relationship with him. So God's laws are meant to bring us together, to make us better people. They don't bring death or hunger or separation or fear. And if that's going on, Jesus says, you are doing it wrong. Now the next part of our reading, verses six, seven, eight, Jesus gives this huge chunk of info that really starts to bring it together. And it just shows that he knows what he's talking about. Now there's three points Jesus makes, and I'm gonna list them on this next slide and then we're gonna go over them. He says, uh, something greater is here Something greater than the temple is here. Do we have that? Yes. And number two, if you had known what I desire mercy, not sacrifice means, you wouldn't have condemned the innocent. Then he says, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So in number one, what he means is that, you know, the temple, which had come to represent the entirety of Jewish life, the law, the religious class of priests, the Pharisees, even the sacrifice, they had become so blown out of proportion and misguided that, I'll be honest with you, people had no idea why they were doing it. They didn't. The example of wanting to put someone to death for grabbing a handful of grain is evidence of that. And on a side note, this is true. If I was there, I'd be the one getting in trouble again, right next to Jesus. I would have said, well, you know, isn't it also work for a Pharisee to sit on the side of the hill and just watch all the fields and make make sure nobody grabs a grain, a handful of grain? (laughs) That, That sword cuts both ways. So what Jesus was saying was he was greater than the temple. He was the completion of the law. Everything, the law, the prophets, everything that they had known at that point pointed forward to him. Now he was there in the flesh. His purpose was to bring people closer to God, to bridge that gap. Now the second thing that Jesus brings up, his second point is related to God not actually wanting sacrifices. Now that may sound surprising, but it was true is the purpose of animal sacrifice was actually to to drive people to repentance. A lot like what John the Baptist said, right? Repent and then be baptized. Having an animal sacrifice, in reality, if you want to look into this, was actually very expensive. It was bloody, it was personal, it was ugh. And every time you sinned, you were supposed to do that. Any, Any idea how much a ram costs these days? It's no joke, they had to pay for it too. Every time. And when they did that, it was supposed to be emotional and to drive them to not sin, to realize what they did. But that's not what happened. People just started to go through the motions. You remember the story of Jesus overturning the tables in the temple courtyard? That was a big one. And you know you know why he did that? Because the animal sacrifice was actually required in Jewish life, right? And the... the priestly class saw a way to make money. You had a demand for something now. And so actually what they did, there is evidence of this, that the high priest actually had friends and some of them owned some of those booths. So now they had a demand. People had to come. They could sell whatever they want. And even some of the weights that they used to weigh out the gold to give change were phony, So when Jesus saw this, he saw how the very process which was supposed to drive people to repentance and closer to God was actually just a rich, rich get-rich-quick scheme by the very people who were supposed to be using it to help people. That's why he overturned the table. That's why he chased them out. A grown man chased a bunch of other guys out of the temple. The whole scene was horrible. But God, all he wanted all along was mercy. Mercy because people repented of their sins. They turned away from them. But the priests weren't doing that. And now, even in Jesus' case here, they're condemning the innocent. Innocent people being threatened with death because they didn't understand certain things or the way things were being twisted. I mean, who would know? Now, the final thing, final point Jesus makes is to cap, to cap everything off as this real clincher, something to drive home the point. And he says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And that is so good from a pastor's standpoint. I mean, come on, that's awesome. I love that. With that statement, he says he is Lord over the Sabbath, not the other way around. It doesn't dictate him. He dictates how it's supposed to be used and interpreted. It's supposed to bring people closer. And the Sabbath, like all their laws, actually point to him. They're to direct people back to God, to help them see they need a savior. And it's in that position, when you really start to get that about the laws, it's just Beautiful. So here's a really important point, something I want you to note, take down, remember this, commit to memory. Next slide, please. If anyone ever that you see is using laws to be less kind, show less love to our neighbors, pull us from God, have people go hungry, we're doing it wrong. All of it. That is never what it's supposed to be. The laws, God gave us those laws because they're a reflection of his heart. He wants us to remember him and have a relationship with him. He wants us... He wants us to put him first. That's why we have the law. Now, the next part of our verse for today Jesus, he's getting tested on this very thing that we've been talking about. Now, he's not getting tested like, what's the capital of Delaware? Anybody know? I had to look it up, to be honest with you. Dover. You can Google it if you want, just to double check me, but that's what I want. He was being tested by the religious authorities because they wanted to bring charges against him so they can have him. to death. Now let me say that again. So they can convict him and sentence him to death. There's some pretty high stakes. And these religious authorities, the high priest and ferret, they're not fools. They're highly educated. They're united. They've talked about this. They've planned. We'd say schemed. They've done their homework. They've watched Jesus and his disciples. They know he kind of likes to do stuff on the Sabbath. He doesn't stop. So now they think they have a shot at cornering him and making it official. So as they begin to work their angle, there's two things that they're counting on. They're going to use to their advantage. Let's go to our next slide. Number one, the loose definition of what constitutes work. Even now, if you go to Jerusalem, I've been there. You know the elevators, the buttons don't work on Saturday? Because that's work. There are people, their whole job is just simply to d- decide what's work. I had no idea. That does not feel like work. The other thing is, people didn't understand the purpose of not doing work. The why. why do you have that in the first place? They were counting on those two things. And how scary would it have been to be alive back then and not really know what's going to constitute work and what's not? Think about it. What constitute work? constitutes work? Because your life depends on it. A lot of stuff can fall into that category. Like, think about it, what about just taking out the garbage? My garbage cans is not that far from my kitchen. But here's the thing, what if I don't and it stays there and sometimes we have fish and the whole kitchen smelts and you have to do this for a while, Is that work? You laugh, it's death penalty. What if one of your kids spills milk? The glass falls on the floor. It sometimes feels like work cleaning the floor, doesn't it? Glass gets everywhere. Sometimes it goes, on, well, it goes under the couch. Now you've got to move the couch. Is that work? Do you want to die over it? <laughs> I, I know I'm making light of it, but this is very true. We're talking capital punishment. That's scary. Who'd want to take that chance? see, this is where the high priests and Pharisees have taken things. This is what matters in their religion. And it shows how far off they've gotten, but that's where it is. That's where we are. And it's this scene where our story picks up. It says Jesus walked into their synagogue. So Jesus wasn't avoiding this at all. He had a mission. He was there for a reason. But even before he gets there, they've been planning this. They've kind of set this scenario up. Now the next part is going to sound strange, But when the priests and Pharisees saw the man with the shriveled hand, they were actually kind of happy. Mm. Now we got something to work with. They weren't happy because they thought they could help him or minister to him in any way, right? No, 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 no. This, we can use this. You see how sinister that is? They were happy because they could leverage this man's disability to potentially put someone to death. Now we're doing something. That's what it is. It shows the the decay that had infected the religious class. And as soon as Jesus walks in, they ask him a question. Now, again, they would have thought this thing true as well. They're not fools. And this question seems so innocent. And that's how they meant it. And this is what they asked him. Could we go to our next slide? Hey man, is it lawful to heal in seven? Now before you answer that, think about it. Put yourself and Jesus in Jesus and the disciples' shoes. Two thousand years ago, you're in a synagogue, there's the word for church, everybody's around you. And they very specifically asked you a question. How many of you would be a disciple and be like, oh, I got this one, Jesus. Let me do this. How many would do one of these? There's 12 of you. I'd be like going towards the bang, a little closer to the door. Who'd want to take that chance? And I have to be honest. You think about this. Is it that different than what some Muslim extremists do today in the Middle East? No, it's not how good is God if you could be killed for helping a sick person on the Sabbath? How good is that? Maybe it's the wrong answer. Maybe you could killed if you don't. Who knows? I sure don't want to go to that synagogue. But yeah, this is what's happening. And instead of backing down, Jesus gives them more more than they bargained for. Now, I love Jesus for a lot of reasons. I do. Some of the things he says are very warm, and man, they make you think, and they're just awesome. But this is one of those scenarios. Where you just need to let Jesus be Jesus. Because he can back up anything he says. I mean, the dude can back it up with some solid miracles. So, this is his response to whether or not it's okay to heal on the Sabbath. Let's go to the next slide. He says, Well, if you have a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take a hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable are you than sheep? Of course, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't created to keep us from doing good. It wasn't created to create diversions or anxiety. can I do? My son has a fever. Run a Tylenol. Can I drive to Publix? I don't know. (laughs) Walk over to neighbors, but walk slow. (laughs) Is it worth the death penalty? See, this whole, it really becomes real and uncomfortable and scary, all these little things that that shouldn't, that's madness. See, when we humans twist the laws, we forget why God gave us his laws. And religion very quickly becomes a scary place. Now, the apostle Paul in the book of Romans, he talked about this. Paul was the great guy to do this. He was very well trained in the religious laws, the Jewish laws. In chapter 14 of Romans, Paul, Paul talks about all the different types of people that emphasize this, and we do this, and that must be that way, or whatever. Some people only eat this. No, you can't eat that. You can only do this. And everyone has their own little thing. But Paul does such a good job. He doesn't tell everybody, okay, you gotta stop everything. He doesn't do that at all. He says, you need to build each other up. And this is exactly what he says. Next slide, it's in verse uh, 17. Romans 14.7, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy, where? The Holy Spirit. That's it, and it's quite beautiful. The kingdom of God is simply a matter of living in goodness and peace and joy. In the Spirit. Now compare this line from Paul. Just think about it. Let it soak in, and don't humor me on this. Don't answer the way you think I would want you to answer. Would you rather have this as your God, or the God of the Pharisees? Well, heck, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Clearly, Paul knew what he was talking about. Now, this leads us right into something Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-nine. This is one of those phrases that I love, and let's go to that. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Holy smokes, could Jesus say anything more beautiful compared to what we just heard? When Jesus sent his disciples into the world, they weren't concerned with whether or not they could heal or do this or that on the Sabbath. Like you ever heard this phrase? We can do all things through Christ, except Saturdays. <laughs> Sunday, we're good. Saturday, you know. Of course that's not true. They were sent out to spread the gospel everywhere, always, to everyone. God has no bounds and no limitations. So Jesus is standing there, and the Pharisees asked him if it's okay to heal on the Sabbath. And he responds, of course you can heal on the Sabbath. He gives this example of an animal falling into a pit. Helping someone and doing good is always okay. And then to prove the point, he turns to the man with the shriveled hand. And there's always this side of me that I'm kind of a joker and I think I'd be like putting it in my pocket when I walk away because you know, this, you know you're going to get pulled into this, right? So he looks to the man with a shriveled hand and he says, stretch out your hand. It doesn't mean like this. He means like this. So everybody can see what's about to happen. But because, because that man trusts Jesus more than the Pharisees, he does it, okay? And when he stretches it out, instantly it's healed in front of everybody on the Sabbath day. And I imagine, it doesn't say this, but everybody would have went bonkers. I mean, how could you not? That's pretty incredible, right? He was cured. But the Pharisees, instead of reconsidering their position or just rethink, maybe we got this wrong. It says they went out and they planned a way to kill Jesus. They went out, they searched, they debated. They, they went over different scenarios, how they can make this actually work. I mean, this was, this was work. And they're, they're planning this. Remember, these are the people that are supposed to be bringing people closer to God. And really, if you think about it, this is more like a scene from The Godfather or Goodfellas. They're working on a way to have Jesus rubbed out. That is exactly what it is. And that couldn't be farther from what God has intended. Now, here's our final thought for today. To understand Jesus and his his teachings is to understand that he brings freedom. He brings rest. He brings forgiveness and salvation. And those things are not contingent on twisted little aspects of the law. God's law does not bring fear. It doesn't bring anxiety. It brings us hope. Hope because God loves us. He gave those to us as a way to help us find a way back to him. The law directs us to be better people. And then, even more than that, when we couldn't live up to the law, he sent his son to die for us. And just to show how starkly different the God of the Pharisees, remember this is the one that was supposedly put you to death for eating a handful of grain, how different that is. From the one who sent Jesus. I want to read to you a verse that talks about the love of God. Because God is love, right? It's from 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably heard this before. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And now these three remain, faith and hope and love. But the greatest is love. That is our God. That is our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that your Son has done for us. It seems so strange to learn how we humans throughout history have twisted your laws, we've used your teachings for our own purpose, how we've driven others away from you. But Father, we ask that you hold us close to you. Correct us when we're wrong. Teach us your ways. Write your laws on our hearts. Father, we ask that when it's time for us to talk, give us the words to speak. When it's time for us to be silent, keep us silent. But most of all, guide our paths. Give us the opportunity to share the good news of your son with others. Father, we thank you, we honor you, we love you. And in your son's name, our Messiah, we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 1045 a.m. and Wednesdays at 630 p.m.